Hey, it's Tim here. And today's episode is me chatting to Temi O uh, about her, well, about writing. I mean, it's never about just one book, but the book that she's got coming out is uh, called Do You Dream of Terror 2? And it's a, uh, it's a novel set among the stars. It's a kind of colonist, colonization story about uh, a group. Well, we talk about it on the show, but, you know, about going to a new planet and colonizing it. But it takes a while to get there. So the people who have to be sent out there are all young. And we get into it in some detail. I am... Or I can I considered myself before reading this book not necessarily a massive fan of hard SF of science fiction that isn't more on the space opera end of science fiction that isn't kind of silly and whiz bang and has tentacles and teleporters and all that colourful slightly slightly weird slightly funny slightly unrealistic stuff so that was that was what i came to this book with uh, and i i am not lying to you and i promise you when i say i was really blown away by uh, this the quality of language the quality of characters the just thrill of the story and, you know, I, I took in our chat, I, I I gushed to tell me a little bit about some of those elements. But it's like, and it's, you know, it's a real, I, I, I choose the people that I have on the podcast because it is me uh, running it. So I suppose if you think that maybe I seem a bit, <laughs> I seem suspiciously enthusiastic about the books we have on, I have on each week in a way that might make me sound insincere because I'm often going, oh, I really like this. My surprise is genuine, not because I thought Temi wouldn't be a good writer, but because I guess I'm now being exposed to more... I'm being pushed out of my comfort zone in terms of genre, in terms of subject matter for books. And so I keep having this lovely experience of reading stuff and going that I don't necessarily... I haven't done that little bookshop dance of walking into the shop, looking at the books on the shelves seeing a cover or a title that interests me picking it up looking at the back like reading a little bit about what it's about and I'm going hmm okay I'm intrigued I'm gonna buy this I have you know I don't go through that quite that same dance although sometimes there'll be an author I really want to speak to or whatever or I'll have heard of their books so uh do you dream of terror 2 isn't out yet that's what's something really exciting. That's why I'm really excited for you to hear Temi talk about this because it's it's I think it's really really fascinating and exciting and fun to talk to debut authors and her book's not been published yet. It's due out next year. Although you can pre-order it and there's a link in the show notes and there's a link on our website for you to do just that. I'd love you to go ahead and pre-order do you dream of terror too i think once you've listened to our conversation you're going to be really intrigued and you're going to want to do that but it's just a real thrill when something that i've got no expectations for that i don't really have any relationship with i pick up and from the first page i'm just like oh yes 
oh yes this this is the juice this is what i was looking for this ah and she's just an incredibly good writer and the reason that you are going to be particularly interested in this conversation is because i <laughs> i ask her about that and i go how how the flip did you manage this what techniques what skills what strategies what means did you use practically to produce what is in this book and she goes into that and she talks really 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 good stuff about what research she did and I think you need to listen to that if there's like one thing I always you know there's loads you can take out of different chats that we have on this show I, I often want to pick out like one thing that I go if you if you take nothing else from today's chat this is the thing i want to underline and highlight and 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 sort of have you tattoo this on your arm so you can read it again and again listen to uh the depth of research that temi did and how that impacted the book because there is something to think about there and you can start thinking about what you could do in terms of research for your book and how you could enhance the quality of your book um with the research because it really really shows in 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 this book and it's uh it's just terrific anyway i shan't go on much longer except to say that if you enjoy death of a thousand cuts the podcast and you would like to support me i've been putting out lots of episodes recently i've been recording at least two a week uh i'm doing my best to get the highest quality content straight into your ears to help you with your writing if you'd like to uh, support my career and uh, help me keep a roof over my head so I can continue to do these podcasts uh, the first thing I would love you to do that would um, mean the world to me is for you to go online and buy my novel The Honours it's out now it's in a uh, lovely uh, paperback with a uh, I guess like a kind of cummerbund around it, but a beautiful, beautiful looking book. Uh, and I can say that because it's not, it wasn't designed by me. It was designed by an amazing designer at Canongate and it looks absolutely stunning. And it's a great story. I think you're going to really, really enjoy it. If you dig kind of like high weirdness and uh, interbellum 1930s English mystery and a, uh, a certainly very willful and driven young protagonist in the form of Delphine then I think I just think you're going to dig it I put a lot of effort into it and uh, you can see how I apply some of the stuff I talk about on this very podcast so there's a link in the show notes I'd love you to just uh, click on through and um, I'll make sure that the link is to a uh, indie bookshop in the in the uk based in bath called uh, mr b's emporium they've been like stunningly supportive of me and we we're living in an age where uh the, you know the mon- monopolies of different industries are affecting the book industry and independent booksellers are absolute warriors holding the line of the book world um making sure that readers have access to books and uh the authors are supported it's it, it means it means the world to us to have independent booksellers so i'll put a link to them i they 
they ship to anywhere in the world and you can um, support me and an amazing bookseller while you do it. So I'll put that um, online. The other thing you can do if you just want to uh, drop me something uh, directly is I have like a coffee page. Uh, that's ko-fi.com. Um, you can drop me a few squid directly through that. Again, there'll be a link. Uh, I don't expect anything from you. It's, you know, I, I just love the fact that you're here and listening. And this is meant to be a podcast that is completely free uh, to access for anyone who wants. I don't want any barriers up to it. And I'm never going to like set up a Patreon and put stuff behind a paywall. People can do that if they want. But it's important to me that uh, you can get any access to anything. And there's no uh, financial barriers to that. However, if you would like to support the show, uh, if you would uh, like to help me out, let me pay for my internet hosting costs and hosting costs for the podcast and to basically just uh, allow me to afford to take uh, what, you know, what is shaping up to be two days a week working on the podcast, uh, then I, you know, it's, I'm so grateful for um, uh, all of you who've chucked me uh, a few quid or have given me, you know, like, three quid a month or something like that i've really appreciated there's no um subscription thing on it it's just whenever you feel like it you can uh, drop a couple of quid in the bucket and it's a deeply appreciated right i'm going to shut up now and uh, hand you over to me chatting to temi oh uh, if you like the podcast and you enjoy it then uh be sure to go online and uh and let her know yourself as well Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name is Tim Clare. I'm an author and apparently now a, a podcast host. And uh, today is another chat with an author. And um, this is a chat I've been really excited about for a long time. And um, and I, I'm just, I just, without further ado, let's get into it. Um, so I'm here with Temi O, who um, who's got a her first novel is coming out. What's the hi? By the way, hi. Sorry, first hi, Temi. Hi. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> when when is when's your novel due out? Um, the 4th of March, uh, 2019, so... Oh, sorry, the 7th of March, 2019. Of March. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking it's the 4th month, but yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah. uh, how it... And it's called uh, Do You Dream of Terror 2? Yeah. How are you feeling at the moment? This is your first, This is your debut, right? Yeah. How are, you, how are you feeling? Because you are on the cusp of, I guess, for what... For a lot of people listening, and and you know, and for me as well, like it's it, it, that's the, it's the dream, right? How is it yeah. actually feeling right now? Well, I don't know. Um, well, because my book was sold. Uh, by the time it comes out, it would have been two years. Like I, I would have had to wait two years for it to come out. So I kind of, it sort of feels like I finished it kind of a long while ago, and I'm writing book two. So maybe closer to the time, maybe when I like see it in bookshelves, it'll feel a bit more real. But it sort of weirdly feels like it's already, it, I, I don't know, almost like it's never going to happen since I have had to wait two years. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's kind of like a, there's kind of a weird de delay uh, yeah. between the actual confirmation and anything existing in the world. And it can make it seem slightly 
kind of surreal, right? Because you're going like going, yeah, yeah, there's this book coming out. Oh, yeah, it's going to be my book is definitely coming out. But yeah. nothing's happened. I think that's the thing. And especially like everyone in my office or even my family and friends, every, like, I think that their question that they always ask me is when is it coming out? And for ages, it was like in two years. No, not next spring. The spring after that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and, and I think like from people's perspective, they're like, well, what is there? You've written it, right? Like how long can it take to, to okay, bind so a this book? This is what people ask me all the time. And I don't know. <laughs> Because, like, I mean, we it sort of took about a year of editing, and now we have the proof copies, and we would have had them for a year before, like, it ends up in stores. So I'm sure loads of things are happening in the background that I'm not doing. (laughs) It's making me feel really smug now, because I've got to read it, like, in advance, and this is, like, one of the first times in my life that I feel like I'm, I'm, like, I'm inside the machine, like yeah, I'm no, part of the in crowd. Like one of the first readers of the book, yeah. <laughs> so before we kind of get into the story itself and how you came to write it, uh, I, I, I want to be sort of a blisteringly unconventional and ask how you got started. I, I just guess I'm asking how did you when when did you get the, like the first inklings that stories were something special no, not wanted to write um well um so well, i was kind of slow um writing though i really loved reading but um i'm dyslexic so it took me a long time to write um but i apparent according to my dad when i was a child I'd tell these really elaborate stories and so he always had this idea that I would be a storyteller and I remember when I was I was nine I actually remember the incident because we were in uh, a car we were driving home and he was like so I think you should I'm gonna buy you a notebook you should write a story in it and then we'll get it published but he said it like it was the easiest thing in the world (laughs) like the easiest thing to write a novel and get it published and knowing my dad he probably thought it was and um so he bought me a notebook and I started writing and um and I kept sort of like trying to write a novel but then it's sort of like falling apart and then I remember when I got to it was like A week before my 13th birthday, I had this idea for a novel and I was like, I'm going to write it. And I spent my whole birthday just sitting on my laptop writing. Um, And I remember thinking, this is the best birthday. Like, even though I didn't see anyone, I didn't have any cake because I had this idea for a novel. And, you know, in the beginning, it sort of feels like you're in love. Like, it's really exciting. And um, so I pretty much spent my whole adolescence um, working on that particular novel. Um, I remember when I was like 15, my laptop broke and I was talking to my friend and I was like, I can't write for a whole week. And she was like, well, and I was like, what am I, what can I do? And she was like, I guess just, you know, what everyone else does. And I looked at her like, what does everyone else do? <laughs> yeah. And then um, I got to 18. And so I'd basically been writing that book, my first book, which is kind of a sci-fi uh, sort of thing. Um, for about five years and everyone kept saying well now you've worked on this your whole adolescence you should try and get it published but I realized that I couldn't work on it like I would be sick if I wrote any more of it so I had to put it away <laughs> because I'd just basically been rewriting and rewriting and rewriting this giant 
thing for about five years. And every time I finished a draft, I'd become a better writer and I'd like started again. So it was this mix of every style I had and everything I was interested in for the whole of my sort of teenage years. And um, so I felt like it wasn't ever going to go anywhere. <laughs> so I kind of think of that book as the book that taught me to write a book. Holy and, um, crap. What, can, what were you... What were you reading at the time? What books were like, I mean, that is that is a huge, like writing something from like 13 to 18 is like writing yeah. something from the ages of 20 to 40 in terms of yeah. like how much <laughs> like emotional yeah. and intellectual development and the changes you're in circumstances and your life's going through. I mean, that's like being a time traveler or something. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I was, I, I think I started writing my first novel when I was 15 and I wrote it to 18. And mm. I, so I so really. That's a long period of time as well, yeah. Yeah. And so I really, I really recognise that thing of like, what were we doing? Like, going, literally sitting down in a room and like, and, and, and writing and not really noticing that. So can I ask, you know, that first notebook that your dad gave you? Um, yeah. just to like I just wanted to jump back to that a second can you remember like the the, the first sort of things that you were writing in it because that's like the ultimate blank page right your first notebook um can oh, you remember yeah. any and what the sort of first scratchings of, of stories were for you oh uh, well um I got really interested in well I was really interested in fantasy though I think like lots of like teenage girls are <laughs> and um I wrote this I remember I wrote this fantasy which was just super sort of derivative uh called like the something like the seventh stone and it was about four children who were who had to find all these different stones in this kingdom but I remember it because like um me and my siblings there are four of us so each of the children was kind of like a weird fantasy embodiment of one of my siblings nice yeah which I think thrilled them no end ah. <laughs> um, so I think that was one of my earliest stories that I didn't finish though so yeah. of course because you, you had like seven stones right and and yeah. you sort of do the first one and then you realise how long it's going to take you. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, no. The number of <laughs> stories that I started where I'd, like, set up this elaborate mythos. Um, maybe from having played video games, right? But, like, where there's going to be, like, 12 things. And you, and then it, you realise how, how much work you've made for yourself. And either yeah. either you leave it or or everyone dies suddenly. Just to... <laughs> I think that's the thing as well about writing that I think everybody goes through is you start off with an idea and it seems inherently like it's going to be exciting. And then you get midway through and you're like, how do stories get interesting again? <laughs> <laughs> how do you make people interested? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely, you, I think when you're deep into something as well, you know it so well. It's like, who reads the same book for for three years yeah, <laughs> with nothing true. else right so it, you just become completely word blind and you're like why would anyone it's like doing it's like writing stand-up when you write it down on the page and you just suddenly go I don't I don't really understand what funniness is anymore yeah, because you can't true. imagine actually delivering it and people laughing it at it so um you you worked on this what do you think you learned from writing that book over your teenage years because that is a pretty steep learning curve but it's also fortunately the time when we generally have like the poorest self-awareness so it can yeah, be quite a true. fruitful time to write do you do, do you feel like what did you 
take away uh, from that? What did you come out of that with? Um, well, I think, um, I think because I, I think it definitely helps that I, I, when you're younger, yeah, you do have a, um, sort of less self-awareness and I think self-awareness is the thing that always sort of like gets in my way now that I'm older. Like I can't sit all day and write chapters without sort of my internal critic being like, but did I waste my time? Was that good? Whereas when I was younger, I was just so excited. So, um, I could spend literally the whole day writing which I can't even imagine doing now and um so I think like in terms of time in terms of hours because um I remember I was reading I was reading Outliers by uh Malcolm Gladwell mm -hmm. have you read that yeah he I have, talks yeah. about how you need about 10,000 hours um to write well 10,000 hours to become a master at something or become really good at something and I think I must have got in a lot of hours over those years and a lot more than I'm able to do to focus on doing now and I guess also when you're older you have jobs whereas when you're younger you have quite a lot of spare time so that, yeah. that helped <laughs> and I think also I learned quite a lot about story structure um like uh pacing I I think I'm now I feel like pacing's a little bit more intuitive now that I've like tried to do the whole arc of a novel a couple of times um yeah yeah it's it, it, there's nothing like sort of being inside being inside of a story to start getting a real sort of feel in your bones for what should happen next it's odd isn't it you just kind of like go i know <coughs> i i've had editors say that to me as well i had my editor say a piece of feedback i got on my first book was like she was like i i just think like a thing needs to happen here. It was yeah. like the, a, a scene and something needs to happen here. And and that was it. That was the notes. But she was totally right. And I think that's from like having read and read and read books and go, oh, there's something about the pacing. You need a tent pole here. Yeah. And it's really difficult to articulate, isn't it? It sounds made up when you're like going, uh, I don't know. But yeah, you're. I, I bet like working on that book and and finishing it and seeing the whole thing from beginning to end not just like a lot of us do you know you write lots of beginnings to books and never write a whole thing um i bet that really helped you yeah i i think i think so yeah and then i think also um uh you spend a lot of i think a lot of writing a novel is like self-doubt and thinking will i ever finish one will I, will will it happen will this be another one that i give up on and i think having when I was younger having finished one I could always say well I did one and and I knew a lot less then yeah so. <laughs> it's amazing isn't it like and, and that was like when you were I've never thought of that before actually is that's a wonderful thing to be able to say to yourself that this is like when I was least qualified yeah. and when and look and look what I did this is when I was at like at my most feckless and uh, I managed to finish something so you finish you finished a book and then what where do we go from there to you beginning uh um, your novel that is now, yeah 
Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I finished that one when I was sort of 18. And I remember having this conversation with my parents and they were like, but we saw you working on this every day for five years. And I was just like, I can't, I can never work on it again. I have to come up with a new idea. And I think they just thought it was like a profound waste like, <laughs> that I'd given so much time to something that I was going to sort of put in a drawer. Um, and I remember, well, I was sort of like on a gap year. Well, it was kind of involuntary. It was because I wanted to do medicine, but I didn't get in. Um, <laughs> so I took this sort of gap year to try and figure out what I was going to do with my life. And uh, I also decided I'd start a new novel. So that was when I was, yeah, 18 going on 19. And um, I remember um, I was like, I was working at a bookstore. I was sort of volunteering. It was a science fiction and fantasy bookstore. And I was telling the um, my manager that it's my birthday tomorrow and I'm turning 19 and he was like oh what are you gonna do and I thought he meant what are you going to do for your birthday like to celebrate but he meant what are you gonna do today because today's the last day you're 18 and I remember it just hitting me and feeling really miserable because I'd spent most of the year crying basically and just feeling like a failure and um and he was like yeah you have to do something really exciting like you're only 18 for 12 more hours and I remember leaving the shop and he was like you can leave early go think about what you're gonna wow. do <laughs> yeah and I remember leaving the shop and thinking I'll never be 18 again this is it never again and I started thinking about because um I just left school and I was going on to university and I was I lived in this house with my four siblings and I was like, I'm never going to live with them in the same way again. Like, and when I was my first year of uni, it was the first night I'd spent alone without my siblings, my grandparents, who we, we all lived in a really big house together, like as in with a lot of people. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it was, it sort of, I spent the whole year just thinking about how growing up is lost. Like you sort of gain freedoms and you gain other things, but I, I was never going to go to school with my friends again. And um, my relationship with my siblings, my parents wasn't going to be the same sort of intense. I see them every day the way it had been for 18 years. And I think a lot of the thought of that um, went into book two um, because I started thinking about, well, what if I have characters who are the same age as me, <clears throat> who definitely are leaving everything behind. So like they're leaving Earth behind, their family and friends and their school. And so I think sort of emotionally that informed my my next book. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, when you talk about um, tre like basically trying to get, you know, doing exams and trying to get into study medicine like that immediately uh i i i'm making the link with um <coughs> you know the the opening of terror 2 where you've got these characters who are in this incredibly pressured uh academic and 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 various other disciplines environment um all training to all competing essentially to have the chance to be part of the the team who are going to go on this mission to another inhabitable planet um do you think i mean i suppose do you think that's true do you think like that's do you think that's like because it feels that that kind of sense of pressure cooker and that feeling of of destiny like really really uh is kind of like permeates so much of the uh, yeah uh, i 
I would say definitely. Um, especially, well, like um, the friends that I had when I was in sick form. Uh, all of us wanted to be doctors and spoiler alert, only one of us ended up being a doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and uh, I, but I think um, people always tell you, like, I think, I remember we had this, um, cause, uh, we had this meeting and one of our teachers was like, some, he said something like, like one in 10 of you will end up being a doctor. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so then you oh have to like, gosh. yeah. Wow. So then you're looking at your friends and you're like, well, she's got this grade and I've got this grade and we're all applying, we're applying for the same things and we want the same things. And then you start to think of like, what, what can I lean on? Like sort of psychologically that will assure me and I know with myself I was like because I'm meant to be because it's meant to happen because this is my destiny yeah. and yeah <laughs> I think probably that uh, definitely like informed like say my character Jesse who's kind of like I was gonna say yeah Jesse yeah. in particular who's like drip has got this has got this pre like the it's like the pressure of of destiny the simultaneous like this is meant to happen but also like this is meant to happen, so if I mess it up, I'm almost like I feel like he's like he's not feels like he's not a person. You know, like yeah. that's his identity. Yeah. And I think I think especially when you're that age as well, uh, you don't you you don't really know what it is that you want. And I think when you there's a way that like working really hard and focusing, like focusing on my book, uh, like writing a book and also focusing on um, trying to do really well in terms of my grades. You don't ever really stop and say, what do I want? Like what, like what are my priorities? What's important to me? You're, you're kind of blind to that. I think that's like, um, and so I think a lot of my characters, they, they just, since age 14, they've just focused on this one goal and they haven't wondered is it good? Would it be good if I went to space and left my family behind? And um, yeah, so I think. Can you just, um, be, I, I realise we got slightly ahead of ourselves because I, I suppose for people listening, can you talk a little bit about what, uh, I don't know how many times you've uh, done the kind of like elevator pitch for Terra 2 yet, but can you talk a little bit about what the novel is about? Um, yeah, so I have um, a group of um, teenagers, um, they're sort of 18, 19, um, there are seven of them who are going, um, they've been part of this, um, they've been trained in this school to colonise another planet, um, to basic, basically they're teenage astronauts, so they've found another planet that looks that is just like Earth. It's habitable, but it has no um, humans on it. And it takes 23 years to get there. And so the people who go there have to be quite young. So my novel is in the point of views of the different characters. And it's mainly asking the question, why would you go? Why would you leave Earth behind? Why would you leave your family behind? And what would you need to hold on to to encourage yourself? And they all have different ideas about what the planet's going to be. And one of them sort of leaving an abusive home. And so the book is kind of, is exploring that. Yeah. Yeah. I um, Can you talk a bit about, because you've got, there's quite like a, one of the things that I think is so, oh my gosh, there's so many things that are great about it, actually. I've got to say now, and I just, I, I'd quite like to get all my sick of fancy out in sort of one <laughs> splurge, and then we can just kind of pretend I didn't do it and move on, and it won't make you feel uncomfortable during the whole thing. But like you're, like your prose is so fucking good it's like it's such a joy to just 
swim through this novel sentence by sentence on the line, I would never believe this is a debut novel because Aww. it is so assured. <laughs> and I'm sure, like, as you've said, I, I, I don't mean to kind of like make that as a kind of like talent thing, because as you've said, it's come from loads of hard work since you were nine. And mm-hmm. uh, there was a year of revisions and doing that. But what I'm saying is, is the work put into this shows in how incredibly effortless it is it appears um just really really uh rich while having pace to it it has the pacing of a kind of like nice kind of like thrillery cat psychological thriller kind of like a piece of genre but it has the acuity of vision and that quality of seeing of literary fiction and i just i'm so into it um I wondered if you could, because um, it opens really excitingly. And I love this. This is like dr- books that open with either Dramatis Personae or a map. I'm just like, I'm on board. I'm fully <laughs> on board. And so you have like a, you have your like little crew list of the, of the Damocles, of the, of the, of the, of the very ominously named Damocles, right? They're like, yeah. oh my gosh, guys, guys, wait. Um, can you talk about a couple of, can you talk about, can you talk about a couple of your favourites? Because I know, you know, parents shouldn't have favourites, but you <laughs> must have, you must have a couple that you're like, these are, these are my guys. Um, See, yeah, well, it's hard. Well, <clears throat> I'd say the character Juno uh, it's probably the most like me <clears throat> in that like um every every time that there's a there's a chance to make a decision the decision that she makes is probably the one I would have made um so there are these two twins Juno and Astrid and um Astrid has this idea she has a kind of religious idea of Terra 2 she believes that it's going to be like the new kind of like Eden and that only the chosen people can go there and uh, she dreams about it and she sort of believes that her dreams are like prophecies uh, which does have a kind of historical context in that like the woman who found Terra who first discovered Terra 2 also had these sort of prophetic visions of it um, so she's I'd say she's more would be more like faith like an embodiment of like people who someone who would just lean on faith whereas Juno is really practical she she looks at earth and she was like we're leaving a planet that global warming has happened and slavery has happened um if we follow all these rules and if we if we're if we make plans um we can make a better planet we can make a utopia if we just if no one no one harms the other person and uh if we stop being selfish and so hers is more like a lot more about action and she's a lot more practical and um so they're twins and in almost every instance they they have the sort of opposite view of what's right and wrong so um yeah so I, I think I quite, I, I suppose I also because I have siblings, I kind of relate to their dynamic in that they're completely different, um, hmm. though they're always like put together, which is like me and my sisters. Um, yeah, because you yeah. say you grew up in this, like, in this big house with lots of people living mm. in it. And, and not to make a kind of like, I hope it's not too, uh, too glib a comparison, but essentially that's the format of this novel once yeah. people have kind of like, <laughs> I feel like it's a lot of people kind of smushed like, oh, together 
Um, yeah, it's true. <laughs> having to find ways, and they've got different, uh, not generational of factionalism, but they've all they've all got sort of different perspectives on life. But they also have got this one unifying thing that is bringing them all together. Um, they've just got very different ways of looking at it. So um, it, it it kind of it kind of ends up having that kind of feel of. Uh, a bunch of people who are, are kind of thrown together in in a way that family is for all its bonds kind of a bunch of people thrown together right yeah like- it's true <laughs> yeah definitely yeah uh, well you're making all these connections and I'm like I suppose it should have occurred to me but it didn't but yeah that's true <laughs> yeah no I mean um, but that's the joy of writing right is that you kind of like come across stuff that uh and it kind of bubbles up can you talk a little bit about your process for writing this because you say like you you can't put in the kind of like dawn till dusk mega seshes of your uh of your adolescence uh, do you have a right did you have a writing routine for this did you have a, a method because it's like uh, this is like a, an involved book with like multiple threads we see different events from different characters points of view can you talk a little bit about how you went yeah. about it um so yeah so I started it um the year that I began uni so when I was 19 and base um so I ended up studying neuroscience um in uh, in London and so throughout my time at university I'd write this book so it was kind of just my way uh I guess of relaxing (laughs) in a way it sort of felt like it used a really different part of my brain but I think for that reason I didn't end up really having a schedule because I'd sort of like study and then um it would get to like the weekend or the evening and then I'd write my book and then um during the holidays I'd try and write it but I I in my memory I spent a lot of time just thinking about how I wasn't writing it (laughs) Mm. yeah but I guess it got written and um and then I got to third year and um I had my I'd I it sort of felt pretty finished but um I I sort of felt like my life had I now was the time to make a choice that either I could go on and sort of do a master's in neuroscience and kind of go down the science route which I'd like to emphasize I really do love science and um I I've always felt like those are two things I'm interested in books and science and um so I felt like I could either do that, become a scientist, uh, but then I could just see myself getting further and further away from being a writer, or I could decide to be a writer. So um, I, I, um, I remember in my third year, I was getting really, I guess I was feeling really conflicted. I felt like one way was the practical decision and the other decision would sort of be for love. And... Um, I remember I was having this conversation with my boyfriend at the time. We met when we were um, in sixth form. And he was like, what do you want? And I was like, the thing I really want is to be married to you, which seemed ridiculous because I was 21, uh, and to be a writer. And um, so we decided that we'd get married and um, I'd do a master's in creative writing. And um, so it was during that year that I sort of edited the book. And that was great because I had... Uh, in creative writing, I think maybe you did creative writing from what I read. Yeah, I did. I did. I did a master's uh, 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 
at UEA. I also did oh. a, a minor, <laughs> a, a minor in my undergraduate degree as well. I kind of really, I really, I really put all my eggs in one <laughs> in one exceedingly fragile basket. Yeah, that was kind of what I was feeling. It feels like such a risky choice, but you know, it is because of love. And um, yeah, I thought that that was great because I had about um, 11 different people reading my book and um, I'd basically been writing it in secret in the dark for years. And um, what was that like when you suddenly take when you like carve off like a chunk of your flesh and take (laughs) it into class and 11 people tell you whether it's okay or not? Um, it was actually not as bad as I thought it would be, uh, because a lot of the people in my class, I think, were mainly impressed that I'd finished a novel. And, um, so I think there was that, that, that felt pretty gratifying. And, um, and I was pretty surprised to find there were scenes where I'd think I want the reader to feel, I don't know, sad or tense. And I'd say about like, 60-70% of the time they said they felt the way I meant for the reader to feel and since I'd never got that feedback before I think it gave me a lot more confidence in my abilities um so I think that that felt really good yeah as well. it's well because I guess when you're just writing it in a void you've got no it's it's like I don't know it's like it's like putting on makeup in the dark right like you've got no idea whether it's you're getting it anywhere near your face and then you've got to go out and and sort of see and it's only when other people go oh I'm really interested in this character you're like oh they live in that person's head oh my god (laughs) oh oh it's it's doing the book thing (laughs) yeah and that's a great feeling too it feels like um especially when someone talks about a character of yours like someone they know or if they're like oh I think I'm so like this character and you're like (gasps) (laughs) like it's more real almost when other people are talking about it of of course because you've had this you've just been having this kind of like uh, repeated fever dream for years mm. where all these people live and then one day someone comes up to you and says oh I had this really weird dream last night there was this yeah. twin called Juno that is and you go oh my god like, what, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah it's true can you talk a little bit about the the research that went into this because either you're like an amazing bullshitter or you kind of <laughs> learnt some of your stuff because I'm just thinking about you know even in I just I I, I just think like I really love the the launch of oh, yeah. the uh, I think it's such a, a a rich scene but it also is like a scene that really cements the authority part of your being an author like I go oh oh okay I'm like you know I kind of absolutely believe can you talk about any of the how you went about doing research for the book yeah well I'd say the launch is actually the hardest part um, in terms of trying to imagine what it's like to be an astronaut I spent um I think because with other parts you can sort of find parallels so um before the launch um sort of anticipating leaving um you can think of parallels in your own life when you're excited about something but frightened of something and then um after when they're in space you can sort of think about alienation but then the launch itself is just i i initially found really difficult to imagine so um i read like loads and loads of astronaut diaries um of 
astronauts talking about what it's like to launch. And um, and then in my third year, I was pretty lucky at King's. Um, you do quite an interdisciplinary degree. You get to more or less choose the things that you're interested in. So um, I chose space physiology. Um, what the fuck? And... What, is, what even is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's space so, physiology? It's about what happens to the body when you're in space. That's a, that's and... a unit that you could choose. Yeah. How awesome. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and um, well, the year I was there, Tim Peake was on the ISS. What the so fuck? That was... But um, the year before, he'd come to give a lecture to the students. That's amazing. So that was pretty cool. And... Um, a recruiter from the uh, European Space Agency came and gave us a lecture. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> and, and you were and you'd already, and you'd been writing your book since the first year, right? Yeah. Oh my God! You must have been absolutely <laughs> just like come in and yeah. kind of go. Uh, wow, wow! <laughs> you must have been over the moon. Yeah, it was really exciting. Um, and one of the really cool things about it is it's the it was the only module in all of the three years that involved a trip. And um, the trip was to the Farnborough uh, sort of air aerospace centre um, where they have um, a centrifuge, like a human centrifuge. So you sort of, it's like a giant arm and you're put into a sort of like cha- chamber that looks like a cockpit and then it spins around really fast. Oh. So fast that you experience like 3G, you know, of gravity. Um, so you, you weigh... Well, I think it can go up to 10. Did you, and so did you, hang on, did you, were you, it's not just a a model then, you can go in it? No, yeah, you can go in it. So so they use it to train um, pilots and uh, they let us all go in it. So the day was basically spent with everyone in my class going in it. And while they do it, they kind of measure your vital signs. I think we're supposed to learn about what happens to you when you experience really high acceleration. Um, So... Basically, you're sitting down and um, you suddenly feel like, <clears throat> you know, like when you're on a roller coaster and it dips down and you feel for a little bit like you're heavier than normal. Mm. It's like that, but sort of sustained and a lot heavier. Like your face kind of melts and you're pushed into your seat. And if you try and lift your arm, it falls like a rock. Um, and that's kind of like what astronauts experience when they uh, accelerate. And uh, all your blood goes down from your head to your toes. And they showed us these horrible videos of people passing out, which I felt was going to happen to me. <laughs> because some people some people um, uh, tolerate it better. And uh, apparently the shorter you are, the better you tolerate it. Because your blood sort of has not so far to travel from your head sort of downwards but um so the really tall sort of six foot boys um they'd get up to that 2g and get really sick and and then ask them to stop and i remember i got up to it was like one and a half g and i already felt terrible but i was thinking because i know the astronauts i think they get up to 3.5 so i was like no i have to keep going i have to keep going it's my job so in the there's a video of my face and i look horrified and then the the operator is like should i put it higher and i was like yeah higher and then like he kept saying i think i should stop now and i was like no higher (laughs) (laughs) it's for the book it's for the book (laughs) yeah I got up to 3G and so um a lot of like Gino's kind of physical sensations I added um I added into the scene later after having that experience because that's like, the thing is that scene with Gino 
I'm so glad that you said that because I think it's so just because the scene is really well written, but now <laughs> I, it's really lovely. It's just so it's so exciting to me to hear that you actually went and did the fucking work because that is yeah. why it's, that's why it's that's why when I read this scene, I was going, oh, my God, I feel like I'm there. Even though, like, clearly, I don't know what it's like to go into space, and then you, and then you go from all that weightlessness to this amazing thing where, um, when she was finally thrust into orbit, she instantly went from weighing four times as much as she did on Earth to weighing nothing at all. That kind of build up and build up, and then, and they're out in space. And I just, it's such a visceral, believable. It's just, it's there. It's it's a real scene. And I'm and it's so exciting that you actually went and did it. Because people yeah. think with science fiction or fantasy, oh well you can't you don't need to research because how can you research? Mm. And and you just were like you went in a centrifuge and got <laughs> spun around. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh well I'm really glad to hear though that you had that um feeling because that was definitely um what I wanted well I wanted the reader to be able to feel like they were launching um, yeah so and it's really exciting. and it's I guess it's like up until then I think the other thing that's it's also the positioning of that scene in the book because up until then we have we've been in the same position as all the students we've been like building towards it and there's been you know drills and practice and theory but there is there is something about them actually being strapped in that we, I just think it, that scene has particular weight of because of where it comes in the book and how much um, because we know what's at stake and it's the first time where we go oh this is the last time this is their last opportunity to go oh actually I'm not I'm not up for this up until then <laughs> there's always been an opt-out and it, it reminds me actually of it reminds me weirdly and I'm not I'm just drawing parallels not saying that they're conscious in there but it reminds me of exactly how you talk about writing that like there's this point where if you continue with this thing, with this crazy scheme, if you continue at some point, you're you're going to have left Earth's orbit and you're going to be too far away to go back to the other path. Hmm. Well, that's a really lovely comparison, actually. Yeah. Thank you for validating me. Um, <laughs> can you... Um, so uh, I guess... Uh, what... I just actually I'd really like to ask uh, when you were writing this do you have any uh, science fiction I I don't want to say like influences can be a bit too loaded because then it sounds like if you say this person's my influence you're claiming that (laughs) you're claiming oh well you know you'll see that I'm as good as this person but um, and I mean it's an amazing book I'm not saying that but uh, have you got any particular science fiction Influences or authors that you love or people that are really like uh, North Stars for you, where you go, I just love how this person writes. Yeah, um, well, well, in terms of star, um, there's only like Kim Stanley Robinson with his Red Mars series. Uh, um, I loved. Uh, I think what I really liked was that there are all these characters who had really strong opposing political views. So um, I'll sort of summarize it. It's about a group of people who decide to colonize Mars. And uh, I think there are about a hundred of them in the group. And um, 
there's John Boone, who's kind of, um, he's American and he's sort of like a capitalist and he's like, we're going to mine Mars like for its resources and make loads of money. And then um, there's another character who's Russian, who's like, no, we're all going to be socialists, like, and we're going to go there. And even our architecture will be socialist. We'll only have, we won't have edges, we'll just have round buildings. Mm. And um, I think um, the idea of like different characters and their political beliefs sort of influencing the mission and them clashing definitely sort of um, inspired me. And also, he, his science is amazing. A lot of the... He goes into a lot of detail, and I felt like it's some of it I wouldn't have understood without, like, doing a degree in... Like, some of my... Like, I did a module in genetics um, when I was doing my degree, and lots of the things that we were learning he'd put in the book so it's just it's amazing um so i'd say he's definitely like a star and then i'd say kind of um emotionally there's a book that i really like called um the infinite tides by christian kiefer um which is about an astronaut who goes onto the international space station and while he's there his daughter dies in a car crash and his wife decides to divorce him. <clears throat> so he comes back down to earth and he's kind of now in an empty house and he's basically lost his family. And the rest of the book is about him dealing with that. But I, I really liked sort of thinking of space as an emotional place as well, like a place of like isolation and change, um, which I was sort of trying to do, I guess, because I was thinking it's space and like adolescence sort of similar <laughs> yeah so i'd say that influenced me in that way as well yeah yeah it's and and like i i think one of the things i i, I want to say about like reading terra 2 um is it made me kind of like go oh like i'd always been very much like i like space opera and if you want to do kind of like hard or even hardish science fiction then really that all that is is it's someone who has designed a, a suborbital mining vessel and wants to use a story as a delivery system for explaining how they'd make a really cool shuttle that could like mine an asteroid but actually what you've done in this is it's weird it's really it's not something i'd never considered before but how your ability to engage with the guts of what's going on of what these humans are kind of like experiencing um it means that the space and the ship itself and everything that they go through ends up being kind of like an amplifier for their for their emotions uh and kind of ends up being kind of like metaphors on steroids for what they're going through <laughs> is that is, was was that a conscious process or is it something that you is it like a happy accident that you discover as you're writing? No, um, I think that that was definitely one of the things I was thinking about. Um, because um, I remember I was watching this TV show called The Big Sea, um, where one of the characters, oh, well, it's a sort of dark comedy about someone who has cancer. And uh, one of the characters is saying, like, I think, like, to her husband, that having cancer is like going to space. Like, you have this experience that, no, that very few people have. And it puts you in touch with, I guess, the fragility of our lives, of life, and uh, isolates you. And um, and I remember it was the first time it occurred to me, like, yeah, what if 
going to space is like having cancer. Yeah, like what do and you sort of read stories where astronauts say, "I looked at Earth and I suddenly felt, um, I guess, like the smallness of our of our the sort of like daily occupations that we have. Um, the fact that like you're on Earth, I don't know, worrying about, I guess, your washing machine breaking. But then when you're in space and you look down and you think about humans, you think about human existence and how small but how beautiful it is." Um, it kind of puts that all into perspective. And it seems like something like illness or being in touch with death also gives you that sort of perspective. So I think I tried to write with that idea in mind. Yeah, it's that kind of like touching the sublime, I guess, like that thing that is, it's kind of, and I kind of, I would say that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is, I feel like when I was reading it, one of the things that was coming up again and again was uh, well you know to put to put the like a kind of like i don't i'm not making a deliberate pun with terror but like terror with the of the or um format of like existential terror or at least existential angst and and death like Mm -hmm. in the midst of this you know colonization is we think and this great fecund fertile uh plane that they're sort of heading for this this new eden um ends up evoking the fragility of human life and how people you know and people and people die um you know there's death all around them and i just i just wondered if you could talk a little bit about how this thing that's i guess like things always have that contain their opposites but this story that on one hand is about life is on the other hand very much about death is that yeah. is that fair or no i'd say definitely i think i was i think i was thinking about that even when i had that experience when i was like 18 going on 19 I, w- I was thinking well i'll never be 18 again then i'll never be 19 and then i'll die and all my friends we walk to school together every day. I'm not going to walk to school with them anymore, but it was just the sense of time passing and how everything was inevitably leading into one direction and how basically everything involves loss. Um, I think I had this moment where uh, one of my characters is out in the rain and all her friends are laughing and dancing and she thinks, well, in just a moment, this will be a memory. And for the rest of my life, it'll be a memory, which actually occurs to me every time something happy happens to me. I always think for most of my life, the happy things are just memories. And then there won't even be memories. I'll just, I'll forget them and then I'll die. And um, I think at the time, uh, okay, I, I don't know if this is a normal point of view, but like, I, I definitely do tend towards sort of depression. So that's probably why, but um. I was thinking, well, why go on then when there's loss? Every day you're losing things. You're losing, you're like a day is a big thing to lose in time. And, um, and I think the book was sort of trying to be an argument for going on. And I guess for, for them, Terra 2 is, well, I think you can kind of see Terra 2 as anything we hope for. Why do we keep going? And I think the answer I tried to make was hope is the reason we keep going. And that's really, I think that's really, I I think that's certainly a feeling that I've had in my life. And I want to 
ask them because so many people I've talked to, uh, a, a book that they've written is a way of them sort of chewing on something that's sort of deeply affected or troubled them or something that they just they don't have an they don't have an easy and immediate answer to because if they did then why write a book about it do you feel like the process of writing it got you any close closer to do you think it your feelings developed on that subject as a result of writing the book yeah I definitely say so and I actually feel like that's why well so the book basically took about four years four and a half years to write since I started it when I was like 19 and I didn't sell it till I was almost 24 and um a lot of the time I'd feel like a character in the early stages was kind of an argument and then writing the book was like the opposing argument if that made sense like um with Astrid um her whole her whole idea of faith and going to this planet and having um thinking that like it's her destiny. Well, I don't really want to spoil what happens to her. Of course. <laughs> I felt like the process of writing it was kind of um, exploring that idea of faith and destiny. And um, quite often I'd, um, I'd write the whole story arc of a character in one draft and then I'd rethink it kind of from another perspective and then rewrite it. And... Um, I, I think for that reason, I felt like it, it had to take three or four years because I didn't have the answers in the beginning. And I'm not saying I have them now, but uh, it gave me a long time to kind of meditate on a lot of the questions that I was trying to ask. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that the book does brilliantly, actually, is exploit the the dialectic of fiction, what novels do so well, which is take a multiplicity of I mean, argument seems reductive. They're characters first and foremost. I'm not suggesting that. But they're certainly people with philosophies and ideologies. And they all complicate each one another in a way that doesn't allow us to easily just read off one interpretation that's being kind of like, we can certainly dr draw inferences from it, but it feels like it, it felt... Uh, I think it was like Young who said, like, it, 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 if there is truth, it must come from a uh, multiplicity of voices. And that's why I feel here that, like, the truth that you're kind of, like, nudging towards has got to be each of these characters has to be carrying, like, a piece of it. Uh, no, no one person gets to sort of be the spokesperson for humanity. Yeah, I'd, um, and I'd really try, I remember, well, so I had this one character, um, I don't know if I should name him, but um, <laughs> there's one character who I think a lot of people like to interpret as the villain character, mm. and, um, and I remember, uh, well, I remember getting through the book and still not properly understanding why he did the things he did, because I, I try and you sort of, because it's sort of six different points of view, you have an event and then another character thinks about the event from their point of view and from their idea of what's true. So I have, well, this one character, Harry, um, <laughs> who's kind of like, he's sort of rich and like kind of privileged and his brothers were um, in the Olympics, like they rode in the Beijing Olympics. So he really does believe sort of that he deserves to be there. And uh, I remember being really stuck just trying to write from his point of view. So then I started to think about um, I guess the idea of 
if if you'd lived your whole life and you'd always been the best at things, how how would that affect the way that you interacted with people? And would that make you, it, it might make you less charitable and less forgiving towards different people. But then there are people who are good at things, like naturally good at some things, who feel like they go through life and they don't have to work so hard. And um, so I was kind of trying to write, I tried to rewrite the story in a, a little bit from that point of view. How how would you see other people and how would you see frailty when you only seen strength when that's your life and you value strength yeah yeah i i think i think that's i think that's a real act of charity to and uh to go to go and try and um get into that viewpoint but also it just makes the character richer as well that's like at the bottom line in a totally mercenary point of view i think that's what makes the that that's what makes the story so interesting is that nobody is there just to uh, present us with a kind of like moral lesson uh, it's not always and it's not always easy I certainly struggled to see like what what could be done about that you know it's not always easy to go well what how else would you would you deal with this um I I, I guess like the final thing I thank you so much uh Tammy for like your time and for spending all this time talking about the uh book I, I really uh I really appreciate it and I'm ever ever so excited for people to get to read this because it's it's just genuinely awesome oh and it's so nice especially since you really are one of the first readers of the book so it's it's so nice to hear that oh man so you've got you. nothing to worry about it's just it's just rich and interesting and it has like it combines do you know what do you know why i really like it well here's the thing here's like the bottom line is it has like the quality of language of like a piece of literary fiction but it has the like competing uh factions and bright characters of like reading like a reading like a sports manga or something like that you know what i mean and i'm just like yes yes i'm getting like i'm getting like the same juice that i get off something like my hero academia but at the same time with this like wonderful wonderful uh Po- poetic language and I know poetry is kind of like thrown around as a kind of shorthand for lyricism but it's just like that acuity and I think that comes from the time you've taken over it but also the research as well I don't think you could have possibly written lines that flow as well without you knowing your shit um, I wanted to ask as a kind of final thing and as a kind of a nod towards the fact that the podcast is uh, writer facing we have loads of enthusiastic and talented writers listening in have Hello, you writers. got any have you got any <laughs> any tips or advice or things you've learned from this process that um you think could help other people who are either working on a novel now or thinking about it maybe they're in a position where they're like god i don't know i don't, i never this is never going to work i'm never going to see this finished or whatever have you got any advice or things you want to say that might help them through um, well, so I often think of this advice that I would have given to myself when I started my book, which is, it's, it's okay to put your first novel in a drawer, one, finish it, but like, the things that you learn from finishing a book, especially a first book, um, are really invaluable. And so I think a lot of people, because they finished a book, are like, well, it definitely, it needs to be published, that will validate. It. And that will validate the, the time that I spent writing it. But 
that time it like it has made you a better writer and so even if you find that you have to just put it in a drawer and move on and start writing the second book um it's it's still amazing all of the things that you learn and you can't learn those things without finish writing and finishing a novel so i think oh, there's that and then um also there's this book that i read that really encouraged me when i was um uh writing my book uh called daily rituals by I think its name's Manson Curry. Um, I'll put a um, link in the show notes, but I've I've read that as well, yeah. Yeah, and the thing that I found amazing was that when you imagine a writer, I think you sort of imagine them like, I don't know, going to like a cocktail bar and then coming home and dashing off two amazing sentences. And I think what I what I found was that no matter how amazing you think the lives of these people are so the majority of it was just work was just them getting up and spending like six or seven hours a day writing and it was shocking to read just story after story it was just filled with just so much work and um but that's like that is what it's about being a writer that amount of time it takes so much time it, it does. It does. Uh, I noticed in daily rituals as well that well, I like a really common thread with a lot of the writers is that they went for walks. Yeah, um, that's that. which was which was really nice. I was like, oh, so we we have permission to get up from our desk sometimes and get some fresh air and do a bit <laughs> of thinking. Um, it's a really great book, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And also, um, I will. Uh, if is you, do you know if your book is available for pre order yet? Oh yeah, it is. Um, awesome. On yeah, I think like um, Waterstones and Amazon. Um, so yeah, put, it'd be I'll, great I'll, if you could pre-order it. Yeah, I, I'll, <laughs> I'll put a pre-link. Uh, I'll put a, a, a link up in the show notes, and I'll put one on my website as well. But er- everyone listening, if you'd like to support the podcast and you'd like to support uh, Temi, um, please, please, please go and uh, click through the link and pre-order. Um, Do you dream of terror two? Um, the pre-orders the the way they work is basically if you pre-order then in the first week all of those pre-orders get counted in the first week of sales uh which and uh, uh, building up of pre-orders makes uh, booksellers excited makes publishers excited but also it gives a massive bump to sales in the first week so if you would like to support a debut novelist and complete you'll completely forget that you pre-ordered it so just the week will come and you'll just get a love. You'll just get a, a present from past you will appear through the door. Which, believe me, having I now started religiously pre-ordering books, is the loveliest thing. To you just get a gift from the past for you that you forgot about, and you're one of the first people to read the book, and you go, "Oh wow, <laughs> past me is awesome." Um, and you'll be and you'll be helping uh uh, uh give um give Temi a glorious first week. Thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. I've had a, a wonderful time um, and I feel like I've learned so much and I'm my and my <laughs> my admiration for you has uh, only grown hearing the work that you put in into the book. I'm not surprised that it took a lot of work, but fa- frankly, I'm relieved that you had to put a lot of work in because if you'd written it all in one draft over a kind of three month summer, I would have been sick to my gut. Um, Well, thank you very much and all the best with your writing. And to everyone listening, uh, uh, I will see you next time on the show.